Yeah, I understand what you're saying. Yeah, I, I know what I'm talking about. I, I gotta let them know. Time for me to let them know. Time for me to let them know about my podcast. Time for me to let them know about what's going down. Time for me to explain myself. Time for me to let them know what Wendell's World Sports is all about. Check it out, y'all. Good morning, good afternoon, bonjour, bonsoir, que pasa, shalom, wassalam alaikum, namaste, konnichiwa. I would like to introduce myself. My name is Wendell Wallace, the star producer, director of the most unique, entertaining, thought-provoking sports talk podcast that you can ever listen to. Wendell's World in Sports talks about what is going on in the everyday of sports from every angle, position, perception, point of view, and insight. What is going on in the NBA? What is happening in the NFL? The news and issues of college football and basketball. Sometimes might mention the sport of baseball, the sweet science of the brutal sport of boxing, and of course, my Georgetown Hoyas. 40 plus years of unhibited devotion, the absolute loves of my life, till death do I part with them from national conference and conference tournament championships through season of 6 and 25 and national embarrassment, despair, and irrelevancy. I will always be down with my Hoyas. So when it comes to my podcast, sports podcast listeners, sports fans in general, you will bow down. You will pay homage in the words of the tribal chief. When it comes to my podcast, acknowledge me. Wendell's World and Sports. Download, subscribe, follow, rate, review, like, and most importantly, enjoy any way, anyhow, anywhere you listen to your favorite podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the most unique, entertaining, and compelling sports talk podcast you'll ever listen to. Let's be great. Let's be great. Wendell's World in Sports with the one and only Wendell Wallace. Giannis charging down the lane to the rim. Double clutch. No good. Tipped in. Giannis tipped it home. Subscribe, rate, and review anywhere and everywhere you listen to this and all your favorite podcasts. And now, from Washington, D.C. metropolitan area, Rip, Roin, and ready to rumble, Wendell Wallace. And welcome to Wendell's World in Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. A lot of things to get down on and discuss today in the world of sports. Man, I am Rip, Roaring, and I am ready to go. Before I get into NFL Draft Talk, before I get into first round NBA Eastern and Western Conference Playoff Games Talk, before I get into any of that, I want to say thank you very much. Special dedication for those who are listening to this podcast, who are watching this podcast on a YouTube episode of Wendell's World of Sports. If you could, if you're watching this, if you could just go ahead and subscribe to my YouTube channel, if you could go ahead and like this video, even leave a comment if you want to, I would appreciate that. And if you're listening to this podcast. Always remember, this comes out once a week. What I want you to do is every time that you want to uh, get a hankering for some really good sports talk, I want you to go ahead, wherever you listen to your favorite podcast, I want you to put in, I want you to type in W-E-N-D-E-L-L apostrophe S, that's Wendell's World in Sports. I want you to download, I want you to subscribe, I want you to rate, I want you to review, I want you to follow, and most importantly, I want you to enjoy the most unique, entertaining, thought-provoking sports talk podcast that you can ever listen to. Wendell's World of Sports, I thank you so doggone much. All right, so we're going to be getting here. We're going to be speaking about what is happening. We're going to be speaking about what's happening in the world of sports. As you know, if you don't know, let me tell you, coming up this Thursday in Vegas, we have the NFL Draft, taking a look at the 
top 15 draft picks in order. Number one, a gift from Urban Meyer, that train wreck of a time when he was the coach of the Jacksonville Jaguars. They have the number one pick, the Fighting Dan Campbells, have the number two pick, the Detroit Lions, the number three selection in the 2022 NFL draft goes to the Houston Texans. Number four, the number four pick goes to the New York Jets. The number five pick in the draft goes to the New York Giants. The number six pick in the draft goes to the Carolina Panthers. Number seven goes to the New York Jets again via the trade. Number eight selection in the NFL draft goes to the Atlanta Falcons. Number nine, the Seattle Seahawks. Number 10, the New York Jets via a trade. Number 11, by Washington Commanders. Number 12 pick in the NFL draft, the Minnesota Vikings. Number 13 pick goes to the Houston Texans. Number 14 goes to the Baltimore Ravens. Number 15 goes to the Philadelphia Eagles, so on and so forth. So when we're speaking about this draft, when we're talking about this draft, one of the things that really stands out is the fact that, you know, one of the things that really lure us in terms of watching the NFL draft is not only the players, if you're a fan of a team who's picking in the top five, in the top 10, top 15, somewhere around there. One of the things that really drive the ratings, one of the things that really drive the interest in the NFL as far as the draft is concerned is the marquee name, is the marquee quarterback, is the Heisman Trophy winning guy from Alabama, from LSU, from Ohio State, from USC, from one of the Blue Blood football programs who are who with the quarterback that's going to be that franchise quarterback that's projected to be that next great quarterback and for the team that's been downtrodden, for a team that has been losing, for a team that is a quarterback away from starting to build a future to where maybe they couldn't compete in two, three, four years for an NFL championship, for a Super Bowl contending championship. These are the times where, you know, the the interest is great. When there's a Trevor Lawrence, when there's a Andrew Luck, when there's a Peyton Manning, when there's a uh, that, that that type of uh, prospect. And even someone who figures to be, as I mentioned before, maybe not an all-time great, but also a franchise-type quarterback and a multitude of quarterbacks being drafted. That's when the interest in the NFL draft is at its highest because – Look, you know us. We love football, America. This is football. Not talking about football. Not talking about European football for all my homies and all my friends and all my brothers and sisters who are listening in other parts of the world. But here in America, it's all about football, man. F-O-O-T-B-A-L-L, not F-U-T-B-U-L. It's football here in America. So it runs everything, especially when you're speaking about the, in, in terms of sports, the love of sports in this country. I don't care where you at. In the 32 teams that have an NFL franchise, they are the king. They are the beast. They are the number one. They are the team. They are the franchise that garners the most attention, that garners the most interest, that garners the most passion when you're speaking about other sports teams. I know Chicago claims to be a baseball town. I know St. Louis, who doesn't have a football team currently, but they were claiming to be a baseball baseball town. Boston has a multitude of uh, teams that do not only really well, but have a long, rich tradition in terms of having successful uh, and historical sports teams. But uh, we're speaking about, even with the Boston Red Sox, even with the Boston Brewers, the Thanks to uh, Tom Brady and Bill Belichick, the numero uno sport in that region, in that city, in that uh, part of the country is the NFL, is football. So because of that, look, man, the NFL, regardless of who's coming out, regardless of who's going to be the number one pick and what position they play or what school that they go to, 
is going to be the team is going to have the you know a huge interest in the ratings for the NFL this upcoming Thursday. It's going to dwarf anything that the NBA playoff games can produce. Can will be dwarfing anything that Major League Baseball can produce. But as I mentioned before, where the interest in terms of the ratings, in terms of the attention that's going to be given on Thursday to this draft, it's sky high when you're speaking about quarterbacks being the, you know, what it, be, be, being the uh, marquee names, quarterbacks that we know, quarterbacks who have won Heisman trophies, quarterbacks who have won national championships, quarterbacks who come from the elite college football programs. Then this year, not so much. This year, we're going to be stretching. This year, we're going to be hoping. This year, we're going to be praying. This year, we're going to be making it up when we're speaking about the quarterbacks and where they can go in the first round and, and, and how, how high some of these guys can go, whether we're speaking about Malik Willis, whether we're speaking about Kenny Pickett, whether we're speaking about Matt Carell. Players, coaches, general managers, scouts, they're all going to be doing whatever they can to kind of justify the reach, the stretch to get that quarterback. They don't do that with offensive linemen. They don't do that with uh, defensive tackles. They don't do that with inside linebackers. They don't do that with free safety or strong safeties. But when it comes to quarterbacks, man, you're going to see teams and organizations do everything that they humanly possibly can to talk themselves into, okay, this guy might not have the great, this guy might not have the projection in terms of where he's supposed to be drafted on the draft board, but you know what, man? We need a quarterback, so what we have to uh, close our eyes and swing and hope that we hit the ball over the fences. Hell, we'll even take a stand-up double. We will go ahead and do that over maybe a sure thing at the offensive guard, offensive tackle, running back, even wide receiver position to where, you know, this is where we're going to be drafting. This is where this player, with his talent and with his potential, is slotted the quote-unquote best player available. We're going to eschew all of that and just go and reach for a quarterback. This is what this NFL draft constitutes. This is going to be the theme. This is going to be the storyline for this upcoming NFL draft when you're speaking about quarterbacks, when you're speaking about Malik Willis and and um, Kenny Pickett from Pittsburgh, Malik Willis from Liberty and those type of things. So the top prospects in the draft, they're mainly linemen. They're mainly defensive players. When you take a look at the best draft picks, you're taking a look at Aiden Hutchinson from Michigan, set the Michigan single-season sack record in 2021 with 14, finished uh, runner-up in the Heisman Trophy. He's considered considered the safe pick, not the sexy pick, not the Aaron Donald type of impact type of pick, not the the once-in-a-generation type pick, not the he's-going-to-turn-your-football-program-around-in-the-NFL type of pick, but he's the safest pick. Depending upon the definition and who you ask and who you're dealing with within the organization, what does that mean? What's the definition of the safest pick? Does it mean he's the one with the floor that's not so low but the ceiling that's not too high? And this is going to be a guy that we're going to be settling for, mainly when you're speaking about teams drafting number one, number two, number three, they're looking for that franchise player. They're looking for that player that can turn their organization and their program around. When I hear safest pick, I'm thinking about a guy who's going to be good, a guy who's going to be making Pro Bowls, a guy who's going to be somewhere in between 12, 18, 19 ranked in terms of his position is concerned, maybe a little bit higher, but I'm not, I'm not, I'm not thinking... I'm not thinking a player who's going to be a difference maker. Aiden Hutchinson 
as I mentioned before, read off some of his attributes, read off some of his highlights, considered by scouts as a safe pick. If you're Jacksonville, do you want a safe pick? If you're Jacksonville, maybe after the Urban Meyer fiasco and after the Urban Meyer era, error, E-R-R-O-R, maybe, you know, safe pick is the way to go. Maybe instead of swinging for the fences and hoping and praying like they did on their last hire of Urban Meyer, their head football coach, maybe we should just kind of tone it down a little bit and, you know, maybe take a single, take a double instead of trying to hit a grand slam home run with nobody on base. So Aiden Hutchinson is that guy in terms of being the player that's going to be drafted number one. Does that excite you? Does that get you, uh, you know, feeling good if you're Jacksonville? If you're an NFL football fan who watches the draft because they want to see where that top quarterback is going, where, they, where that, 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 that marquee player is going from the wide receiver or running back or quarterback position, does that get you, does that get you fired up, rip-roaring, ready to go like I am doing this podcast? I'm going to say no. Does Kyle Hamilton pique your interest? Does Kayvon Thibodeau pique your interest? Does Evan Neal, offensive tackle from Alabama, pique your interest? Take a look when we're speaking about the top 10 or 12 picks in the NFL draft. Listen to these names. Ahmed Sauce Gardner, cornerback, Cincinnati. Derek Stingley Jr., cornerback, LSU. Trayvon Walker, edge rusher, Georgia. Charles Cross, Offensive tackle, Mississippi State. Do, do you know anything about these guys? Can you sit there at the barbershop at the water cooler and talk about their strengths and weaknesses and what they can provide for the team? We're always more educated in terms of football fans is concerned, even though overall we're pretty ignorant when it comes to the NFL, when it comes to players, when it comes to quarterbacks, when it comes to schemes, when it comes to how this player, whether it be on the offensive side of the ball, defensive side of the ball, we're, we're all ignorant in terms of you know, what they can bring because we're not NFL scouts, because we haven't spent decades sometimes reviewing, going over, watching film, being part of the atmosphere, being part of the environment, which is the NFL, which is the National Football League, in coaching, in critiquing, and scouting, and developing, and teaching, and learning, and building uh, habits, and building skills to make an offensive tackle, to make a quarterback, to make a wide receiver, to make a tight end, to make an inside linebacker, to make a cornerback, a player that can live up to his potential. So we don't know. I don't know. You don't know what Charles Cross can bring to the table. We don't know what uh, Kyle Hamilton can bring to the table. We don't know what Evan Neal can bring to the table. We don't know what Kayvon Thibodeau can bring to the table. We we can know that, yeah, pass rush sucks. We need somebody who can put some pressure on the quarterback. We need somebody who can put some, you know, pressure on the running back and such. Okay, Kayvon Thibodeau, edge, edge rusher, 19 sacks, 33 and a half tackle for losses over three seasons. Showed impressive uh, skills and speeds and strength at the combine, all those type of things. We can watch the combine. We can take a look at someone's 40 time. We can do all those things with the offensive tackles, with the defensive linemen, with the linebackers, with the safeties, with the cornerbacks. We can do all that. But, man, when it comes to quarterbacks, for us laymans, for us football fans on the outside looking in who are not part of the ecosystem, system, which is the NFL football thingamajig in terms of developing players, in terms of coaching players, in terms of being in that ecosystem. When it comes to quarterbacks over any other position, we have the confidence and a little bit even of the knowledge to take a look and say, okay, that guy can do this, that guy can do that, that guy can fit in this system, this guy can 
do this, that, and the other. So when we have a quarterback, quarterbacks, which are going to be drafted in, say, the we have two or three quarterbacks that are going to be drafted in the top 10, and their projection is to be somewhere in the top 10. And we have, going into the draft, those quarterbacks that could be considered franchise quarterbacks if they reach their potential. Yeah, if you're a fan of the Detroit Lions. Yeah, if you're a fan of the Carolina Panthers. Yeah, if you're a fan of the Atlanta Falcons, you're going to be paying a little bit more attention because you're going to be begging, you're going to be pleading, you're going to be hoping, you're going to be praying that, man, the Carolina Panthers can finally find themselves that franchise quarterback for real and not have to deal with the Sam Darnold experience, that the Atlanta Falcons can move on from – Matt Ryan and get themselves the quarterback that can uh, have more success and bring a championship and bring a Super Bowl trophy and bring that Lombardi back to uh, Hotlanta. So we can take a look at the stats. We can take a look at the highlights and we can formulate, we can have a better opinion in our own minds, thoughts and uh, feelings about what this player is going to do. Say, for instance, if we're taking a look at the offensive tackle, hey, look, how about that? He seems to be uh, handling the defensive lineman pretty well. Hey, take a look at the offensive lineman. Call that play to, uh, you know, on the offensive line to uh, stop that blitz, to stop that uh, the, the, the stunts within the defensive line. Hey, take a look at that uh, linebacker who can also, you know, go ahead and play in coverage and put some pressure on the linebacker. Looks like a really good athlete. Hey, take a look at that covered corner. He looks pretty good. Allow the uh, receiver not to uh, catch the football. Wow, this, that, and the other. That doesn't excite us in terms of watching a quarterback do a thing. So as I mentioned before, when you're taking a look at Kyle Hamilton, when you're taking a look at Kayvon Thibodeau, when you're taking a look at Trayvon Walker, when you're taking a look at those guys, and they're going to be drafted somewhere in the, you know, anywhere between the first pick and also the 11th or 12th or 15th pick, and that's going to dominate the first half of the first round, eh, you know what? Even the mightiest of NFL football fans might say, yeah, you know what? What NBA game is going to be? And I'll be going back and forth. I'll be concentrating on the NFL draft, no doubt, but I also will be watching the NBA because, as I mentioned before, you don't give me something of substance in terms of a quarterback, which I can take a look at and evaluate my own self, uh, makes the NFL draft not as sexy makes the NFL draft not as attractive, makes the NFL draft a little less, uh, you know, program watching than if a franchise quarterback was going to be at the top of the line or even had some type of a storyline with a quarterback. If this quarterback going to be drafted number one, if this quarterback going to be drafted number five, if this because leading up to the draft, most of the time with the scuttlebutt, which will bring people to the interest of watching the draft, it's all centered around what? It's all centered around the quarterback. No one's going to be speaking about, man, what are the Jacksonville Jaguars going to do? Are they going to draft Aiden Hutchinson? Are they going to try to move down? Are this going to be a situation where they're going to be choosing between Aiden Hutchinson and Evan Neal? Man, we don't care about no doggone speaking about what's going to be happening with a defensive lineman, with an offensive tackle, with a safety. Can a safety go in the top five? Can a quarterback be projected to go in the top eight? We don't care about that nonsense. We don't know about any of that stuff. We don't care for the most part, about any of that stuff, especially if the teams that are involved in these rumors and innuendos and thoughts and everything are not your team. 
I mean, we don't care what the doggone Jacksonville Jaguars do. If you're a Washington Commanders fan or a New York Giants football fan or a Seattle Seahawks football fan or a Denver Bronco football fan, we don't care about that. We don't care about in terms of, hey, what are they going to be doing with their first pick, drafting an offensive tackle, drafting a defensive lineman, moving down. We don't care. But when it comes to a quarterback, ah, when it comes to having two or three or four quarterbacks, that could go anywhere in the top 15, top 16, top 20. Well, then leading up to the draft, it's all about, man, how did he do in the pro day? How did he do on the wonder? Like, how did he do this? How did he do that? What's going to be happening? Should this team draft this quarterback because this quarterback that they have right now might, but, might not be the answer? Which quarterback is going to be drafted higher than expected? Which quarterback is going to drop? Which quarterback is going to be the next Aaron Rodgers? Which quarterback is going to be the next Brady Quinn? Which quarterback is going to be the next Mac Jones? Which quarterback is going to be the next Gito Smith where they were projected to go somewhere, but yet and still where they got drafted was a great divide in terms of where they thought they were going to be drafted, where the mock draft told us they were going to be uh, drafted, where the scouts and the know-it-alls and the experts told us with their mock draft, mock draft where this quarterback was going to be drafted, top five, top eight, top ten. Now all of a sudden, you get down to pick number 17, pick number 18, pick number 20. And we have those scenarios where now it was getting juicy. Now we're starting to get into a little TV drama. Now we're starting to all of a sudden have the NFL draft resemble a TV drama. And there ain't nothing like drama to bring in folks, especially when you're speaking about reality drama. This ain't, this ain't law and order. And this ain't one of them damn keeping up with the Kardashians type of reality shows. This is real, real reality, as real as it gets. So in a situation like this, man, man you know, outside of where Malik Willis is going to be drafted, we don't know. We don't know what's going to be happening. So the NFL draft, eh, you know. I guess the only thing that they can really do in terms of not only speak about where the quarterbacks are going to be taken, and we're only going to be really talking about two with Malik Willis, who could be this season's Trey Lance in terms of the projection of where he's going to be drafted, and Kenny Pickett, if he's going to be going to the Pittsburgh Steelers, if he's going to be drafted like by a team like the Washington Commanders or maybe a team like the New Orleans Saints who can groom him to eventually be a starting quarterback, even though if you're taking a look at the starting quarterbacks in this year's draft class, Kenny Pickett is the one, like Mac Jones was last season, was a quarterback who could come in. If you're going to have one of these quarterbacks, Sam Howell, um, Malik Willis, Kenny Pickett, Matt Corral, one of these guys, who's going to be that guy that has the best chance of starting this upcoming NFL season is going to be Kenny Pickett. Which quarterback has the intangibles? Which quarterback has the physical tools and ability and potential and talent to be a franchise NFL championship winning quarterback than Malik Willis is that guy? What's going to be the situation? What's going to be the decision-making that's going to be happening when, you, when it comes to Malik Willis, what happens if the Carolina Panthers, who on a lot of mock drafts are selecting Malik Willis with the number six pick? That's drama in itself because you're taking a look at the Carolina Panthers right now and Matt Rule, who basically is under the gun, under fire to win football games next season. Well, guess what? Malik Willis is not going to be winning you winning football games next season. 
And Matt Rule has to win this upcoming season. So Matt Rule might be thinking about, man, I'm not really interested in drafting Malik Willis because in three years he'll be ready to uh, be a starting quarterback or be able to reach his potential in four or five years. If I don't win next season, I won't be around to see him flourish. So I need somebody who can help me win football games now. David Tepper, a hands-on owner, he's upset with me because I didn't make the playoffs last season. I didn't even come close last season after the first couple of games starting off and maybe maybe having the potential to make the playoffs. I need to win now. But if you're Matt Rule, you're the coach. You're not the GM. Very few coaches in the NFL buy the groceries. That's the job of the president of football operations. That's the job of the general manager. They buy the groceries. You make the meal. So it's going to be an interesting situation. If you're the Jacksonville Jaguars, I mean, what are we going to be doing here? Yeah, you have the number one pick. And, and yeah, Aiden Hutchinson is a quote-unquote safe pick. But I've got myself a potential Hall of Fame quarterback in Trevor Lawrence. I said potential. Every the, the, the mock drafts and the prospects and all this stuff, saying that he has that he's a generational great quarterback. Am I going to try to do everything humanly possible to see what I can do to get this guy some help? In the NFL, man, with the salary cap, unless you're the Los Angeles Rams, you can't you can't be balanced in terms of having a great offense and a great defense. In the NFL, because of the hard salary cap, you can't have superstars on both offense and defense. So it's almost like when you tilt the scales in terms of what's going to be the strength of our football team, it ain't going to be special teams. It's either going to be the offensive side of the football or the defensive side of the football. And the way that the game is played today, it better be on the offensive side of the football. It starts off with the quarterback, or Jacksonville check. I think we got, not only do we have someone that we can, um, you know, project that's going to help us a lot, we got someone who might go down as an all-time great so we have this winning lottery ticket named Trevor Lawrence. What exactly are we going to do? And we have the number one pick. What are we going to do? Are we going to get ourselves an Evan Neal? Are we going to concentrate on offense in terms of building our team through the draft? Because we got ourselves a franchise quarterback. We're going to need to put some tools. We need going to have to put some toys around him. We're going to have to get that number one receiver. We're going to have to get that great tight end. We're going to have to get a strong offensive line that can protect them. Getting, taking Aiden Hutchinson with the number one pick, that's not going to be helping Trevor Lawrence out. It might help the team out. It's not going to be helping out Trevor Lawrence. But then again, having the number one pick, you're definitely not going to take a wide receiver because most of the wide receivers that have been projected to be drafted, Garrett Wilson out of Ohio State, Jamison Williams out of Alabama, Drake London, USC, Chris Olive, Ohio State, Traylon Burks, Arkansas, Jahan Dotson, Penn State, they're, they're, they're not number one draft picks. And I haven't heard any scuttlebutt about the Jaguars moving down or doing anything to accumulate more draft picks or more capital so they can go ahead and start building that organization around Trevor Lawrence, who should be outside of the owner of the team, the most important person associated with that organization. So it'll, it'll be interesting. As, as I mentioned before, Ben, you take a look. When the draft starts getting interesting, wide receivers who can make an impact early on very soon, Garrett Wilson, James Williamson, even though he's going to be out for a period of time because of the ACL injury he suffered in the national championship game. Drake London, Chris Olive, Traylon Burks, Jahan Dotson. You take a look at teams who need receivers. There's a multitude of them. Yes, 
we know about Kansas City. We know about the Green Bay Packers needing wide receivers because of them, Kansas City trading Tyreek Hill, Green Bay trading Devontae Adams, but you're speaking about other teams who could use an upgrade at the wide receiver position, the Cleveland Browns, the Baltimore Ravens, the Houston Texans, Indianapolis Colts, Jacksonville, Kansas City, the Chargers, the Patriots, the Jets, Pittsburgh, Tennessee, Carolina, Green Bay, Chicago, Detroit, Dallas, my Washington Commanders, New, um, New Orleans, Philadelphia. They could all use some help at the wide receiver position. And in a situation and in a draft that's going to be deep with wide receiver talent, hey, man, you know, you're speaking about the Cleveland Browns. Hey, they just brought in Deshaun Watson and paid him a boatload of money. I think he right, right, now, uh, right now might be the highest paid player in the NFL. You made quite a commitment to him. You have a nice running game. You have a pretty good offensive line, the best running game duo in the league with Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb. But who, who is he going to be throwing the ball to? You don't have Jarvis Landry. You don't have Odell Beckham Jr. Yeah, you have Amari Cooper, who you traded for with the Cowboys. But outside of that, you have Cooper, Donovan Peoples-Jones, and Anthony Schwartz. Man, how nice would it be if you're starting to build that championship and having the quarterback that is going to be ranked in the top five, three in the NFL in terms of production, in terms of talent, in terms of impact, in terms of how great that quarterback is, and you're projecting that to be the uh, deal for Deshaun Watson for the next seven, eight, ten years, hey, man, if you're the Cleveland Browns, we got to go ahead and we got to start you know, putting some receivers around this guy. If you're a team like the Baltimore Ravens with Lamar Jackson, who has gone years with Jackson on your squad, never having a true right receiver to uh, go to, even though you've drafted Rashad Bateman, even though you've drafted others to uh, help out the cause. If you're the New York Jets and you got a guy where many people are saying that, hey, you know what, your quarterback looks like he has Patrick Mahomes-type qualities in Zach Wilson, and you've already shown uh, an interest, a thirst, a hunger, a definite passion to get him that wide receiver to help out Zach Wilson, like the Miami Dolphins, helped out um, to a tongue of Vailoa. You missed out on Tyreek Hill if you're the New York Jets. Are you going to be that team that's going to go out and swing and try to get one of these guys with their first-round pick to help out uh, Zach uh, Wilson? What about the Cowboys? What about the Lions? What about the Eagles? What about Chicago? We're, we're speaking about teams now, Chicago with Justin Fields. We're speaking about Philadelphia, Philadelphia who has hitched their wagon right now to Jalen Hurts? What about the Detroit Lions who are with Jared Goff? What about the New England Patriots, a young quarterback in Mac Jones? What about, you know, what about the Green Bay trying to satisfy Aaron Rodgers and get him some wide receiver help? What about Kansas City? And with their two first-round picks, number 29 and number 30, trying to get themselves a wide receiver, all of these things are going to be shaken up. All of these things are going to be going down. All of these things are situations that I'm going to be looking at when the draft comes on Thursday. And as I mentioned before, breaking down the quarterback prospects in the NFL, I mentioned before Malik Willis, the Trey Lance of this year's NFL draft. He might not be ready to be a functional, successful starting quarterback in this league as of right now, but in terms of all the other quarterbacks, he has the most potential, the most talent to be a franchise quarterback. You're hearing scouts, you're hearing general managers, you're hearing coaches talk about, hey, yeah, does Malik Willis have some 
deficiencies, absolutely, coming from a non-pro-style offense, coming from a low-tier competition level at Liberty, all of those things, really not being, really not having the experience or the opportunity to work in a pro-style offense. But a lot of scouts out there say that, you know what, he's a better prospect than Trey Lance. He's got a generational-type arm. He might not have the prototypical size of 6'1 and around 220, but take a look at Kyler Murray. Take a look at uh, Russell Wilson. It can be done that you have special qualities, physical qualities, and they say Malik Willis does. So, as I mentioned before, if you're the Atlanta Falcons, if you're the Carolina Panthers, do you take a chance on this guy? And if you don't, Carolina in Carolina and Atlanta drafting Malik Willis, how far does it go? And then the domino effect happens. So if he, so if Willis is not drafted by number eight, how far does he go? And what does that mean for Kenny Pickett? What does that mean for Matt Corral and some of these other quarterbacks who might be projected to go in the first round of the NFL draft? What does it mean for a Desmond Ritter? Now does all of a sudden now what what what, what did, how far does what how far do those quarterbacks tumble? If just say for instance, if my Washington Commanders see Malik Willis at number eleven and decide to take him because Carson Wentz is just a bridge to get to the next quarterback. What what if you're what if you're uh, an NFL franchise needing a quarterback, someone like a Pittsburgh, someone like an Atlanta, someone like a um, someone like a uh, uh, Carolina. Maybe it's a situation where you're like Washington or you're like the New York Giants where it's, or, or, or maybe even the Miami Dolphins where it's kind of like, look, we got a quarterback for this year, but um, we're going to give this guy one more chance to try to do some things. If he doesn't prove that he can be a franchise quarterback, we're going to be moving on. And then you take a look at next year's draft class, and they're saying that because of players such as C.J. Stroud and Bryce Young from Alabama and a couple of others, that this upcoming NFL draft 2023 has more really good quarterback prospects than, say, a Malik Willis or a Kenny Pickett or a Desmond Ritter, a team that might be reaching, stretching, blowing their first-round pick on someone who, as I mentioned before, close your eyes, swing as hard as you can, and hope that you hit the ball and hit it over the, hit it over the fence for a home run. So are you going to be in a situation to say, hey, man, look, we're not in a position to draft a Malik Willis because we're too far beyond thinking about going for a Super Bowl championship. We need to continue to build around. And then if we stink again or if we're in a position next season where we can get ourselves a quarterback who we feel can project to be a better quarterback, especially if you're speaking about Malik Willis and Malik Willis is gone. And then you will have the tantalizing uh, potential of a C.J. Stroud of Ohio State, of a Bryce Young of an Alabama. And there's always a quarterback next year in college that's going to creep up, creep into the scene and do what Joe Burrow did from his junior year to his senior year, what Zach Wilson did at BYU from his one year to the year that all of a sudden he jumped to being the number two uh, player drafted in his draft, in his draft class. So... All of these things, man, these are situations, these are conversations that uh, these NFL GMs and coaches and owners and presidents of football operations are having. But uh, as I mentioned before, man, it's crazy, it's wild, it's unbelievable. The NFL draft coming this Thursday down in Vegas, about 20 minutes from my town home here in northwest 
Las Vegas, Nevada. It's going to be intriguing. It's going to be interesting. Yeah, they don't have the sexy quarterback. Yeah, they don't have the Tim Tebow in there. Yeah, they don't have any type of alluring story to drag you in. But, hey, man, you know, defensive linemen, offensive linemen, quarterbacks, all those non-sexy players that are going to be drafted or from those non-sexy positions that are going to be available to be drafted high, hey, it's going to pique my interest. Lord knows I'm going to watch. So the upcoming NFL draft Thursday, let's see. Let's see what happens. Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. A lot of things to discuss on the podcast, the last segment of the podcast, the last part of the podcast. Going to be shifting now to the NBA, the playoffs. I am recording this right after the end of the Brooklyn Nets season, losing to the Boston Celtics swept in the uh, Game 4. Game four, Boston did what they needed to do. They old yellered the the uh, Brooklyn Nets, and now here comes the offseason. Look, we can sit here, and we can concentrate, and we can focus, and we can hem and haul, and we can make fun of the deficiencies or the poor play, even though he had a great scoring game tonight. Kevin Durant, the first three games of the series. We can speak about Kyrie Irving's absence after game one's explosion and how he really didn't put a real impact on the team. We can talk about the coaching acumen of Steve Nash. We can go ahead and we can dissect all the reasons why the Brooklyn Nets lost this series. And not not, not just lost the series. I don't think people would have been up in arms. I don't think people would have been shocked or surprised if the Boston Celtics would have won this series in, say, um, in, say, six or seven games. That's not the issue. They were swept. They were swept. And from a layman's standpoint, taking a look at those games, both offensively and defensively, it was a situation where Boston was by far the better coach team, the better organized team, the better put-together team. And moving forward now, what does this mean for the Brooklyn Nets? What does this mean? Because right now you have the last remnants of Kevin Durant in his physical in his physical and athletic prime being a guy that has been 15 years in the NBA. It was incredible. It was I, – I didn't think it would be possible. I didn't think it was possible for Kevin Durant in terms of going one-on-one or in some instances one-on-three, the ability for that first defender not to let him go by or not, to, or not be able – Kevin Durant not have the ability – to uh, break down his defender one-on-one. Not just Jason Tatum, but, I mean, we're speaking about guys like Grant Williams, who, of course, five or six years ago wouldn't have a prayer of keeping Kevin Durant from going by him. But in this series, this happened time and time again where Kevin Durant was not getting past his first defender on the ISOs and were settling for hero shots that made Donovan Mitchell blush, uh, blush. When you're speaking about some of the tough shots 
that Kevin Durant was taking. Kyrie Irving, another guy who's considered one of the best one-on-one players, not just in the NBA today, but, you know, in all actuality, in in the history of the game. With his talent, with his marvelous skills at the offensive, offensive end. And he couldn't make, outside of game one, he couldn't make his imprint and his impact on a team. So with the Brooklyn Nets, and I'll get to the Boston Celtics moving forward because after I speak about the Brooklyn Nets on my podcast, I'm not going to be doing it anymore because I'm going to be focusing on the playoffs and not teams who are no longer in the playoffs, see the Los Angeles Lakers and see the Boston Celtics, uh, the uh, Brooklyn Nets. But what does that mean for Brooklyn moving forward? What's going to be the impact? What's going to be the consequence? What's going to be the destruction? What's going to be the decision-making for the Brooklyn Nets moving on after they got swept? There's going to be a lot of hard, tough choices and decisions to be made because not only did the Brooklyn Nets, you could say, disappoint. You could say that almost in terms of disappointing teams, that right beside or right below the Los Angeles Lakers, where they were projected at the beginning of the season and everything that went down and how they went out in these playoffs, that you could say that coming in with the bronze medal or coming in with the silver medal for a most disappointing team in the NBA behind the gold medal-winning Los Angeles Lakers in that award, second place belongs to the Brooklyn Nets. Give Kevin Durant, give Kyrie Irving, give Steve Nash, give Blake Griffin, give LaMarcus Aldridge, give... Bruce Brown, give Steph Curry, give those guys trophies and orange wedges and a participation trophy because, hey, man, that's about the only thing that you're going to be getting. You're not going to be getting the jewels. You're not going to be able to hold up the LOB. It's, it's, it's a disappointing season for the Brooklyn Nets. And you can blame a lot of things. You can blame Kyrie Irving. You can blame James Harden. You can blame the lack of continuity. You can blame all of those things. But the bottom line is that the Brooklyn Nets did not get it done. And now we're speaking about year two of the Kyrie Irving, Kevin Durant coming over to win themselves a championship, not with the New York Knicks, but with the Brooklyn Nets kind of build their own legacy with a team that doesn't have a legacy, even though if you take a look at the New York Knicks and the history of their franchise outside of the early 70s, late 60s, New York Knicks with Willis Reed and Dave DeBusher and Walt Clyde Frazier and Bill Bradley and Dick Barnett and then picking up Earl Monroe and such. And those guys, Red Holtzman at their coach in the early 70s and then moving up to the Patrick Ewing from Georgetown University, teams of uh, Pat Riley being their coach, Patrick Ewing being their beast, their centerpiece. And you have guys like John Starks. You have guys like Mark Jackson. You have guys like, uh, for a short time, Rolando Blackman. You have uh, guys like Charles Oakley. You have those type of Anthony, um, oh, my goodness, Anthony. I know his first name, but not his last name. Big man, 6'5", 240, brute, that type of thing. Anthony Mason, thank you. So outside of those teams with the New York Knicks, when you take a look at their history, it's been uh, not very good. But Durant and Kyrie said that we're going to go to New York. We're going to go to the New York market. We're going to bring on our good buddy DeAndre Jordan with us. And uh, we're going to do some things, man. We're going to make some magic. And, And so far, two years in, it's been extremely disappointing. And especially when it was everything was hyped when they went ahead and they got James Harden. Oh, man, now you're speaking about a situation where you have, at the time, three of potentially the top 9, 11, 12 players in the league. And even after they lost to Milwaukee to end their season last season, going into, the, uh, going into this season, the prognostications were what? The Brooklyn Nets were supposed to be the heavy favorites or at least the solid favorites 
to win the Eastern Conference and to get swept like they did by the Boston Celtics. And I, and I, as I mentioned before, looks so over, looks so like out of the league, just in terms of what they were doing. Boston was just Boston's playing the best basketball in the NBA right now. I think if you had to have a team ranking as of right now, everything could change by the next playoff round. But if you're going to be having rankings right now, especially when you take into consideration the injuries that are happening in Milwaukee with Chris Middleton, the injury that's happening right now in Phoenix, which has really put the Suns in a uh, precarious situation, Luka returning, uh, not really missing a beat, but still missing the uh, missing a couple of games because of injury. When you take a look at all of the teams right now, and you're taking a look and saying, man, who's going to be that team that's going to uh, emerge as the favorites to win the championships as of right now, as I'm recording this April 25th, it's going to be the Boston Celtics right now, that's the way that they're playing. Get to them in a second, but just getting back to uh, putting the um, finishing touches on the uh, Brooklyn Nets, I don't know where you go from here if you're Brooklyn. I don't know what you do with Kyrie Irving. I I don't know, are you really going to give him a max contract? Do you really trust Kyrie Irving? Do you really believe in Kyrie Irving to give him a max contract? Now, what Kevin Durant wants, Kevin Durant is going to get in. You know, somehow, someway, if you're the owner of the squad and you are putting this team together, you're going to have to somehow, someway, save face in terms of, man, we got to continue to uh, go ahead and try this out because this would be an utter failure. If Kyrie, I don't know, man, I don't know, the, the mercurial, unique, personality, which is Kyrie Irving. I mean, we don't know. This man could retire tomorrow. This man could have a change of heart and want to be traded. We don't know what's up with Kyrie Irving. But um, it's a situation where if you blow this team up or if you go ahead and just say, well, sorry, Kev, Kyrie went somewhere else. Now it's just going to be you surrounded by the Bruce Browns and the Nicholas uh, Claxtons and the Seth Currys and the Andre Drummonds of the world. And, oh, yeah, by the way, go ahead and win us a championship and you be that guy to do what Luka is doing with the Dallas Mavericks. Uh, in year 16, no, that is not going to be happening. So just based on trying to save face, if you're the Brooklyn Nets organization, you're probably going to have to uh, bite the bullet and pray to whatever God you pray to to say, please, Lord Jesus, whoever, Brigham Young, whoever, man, please do something to, uh, you know, have the light turn on and common sense with Kyrie Irving and, 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 you know, have him fulfill this potential with this squad that we have right here. Because eventually, man, they're going to need Kyrie Irving to be that guy. I mean, you're speaking about Kevin Durant going over 40 minutes. You're 15 in the NBA, and you're not even acquire. You're not even taking into account the uh, postseason and Olympic play that's been tacked upon his body, and you're not even going to take into account the injuries that he's had throughout his years. Not just four, five, eight, ten years ago, but we're also speaking about recently. This season where he suffered a knee injury. Kevin Kevin Durant is going to be the Kevin Durant of 2013. Kevin Durant is no longer the Kevin Durant of 2015-16. To be that guy, to be that potent with the workload and responsibility that Steve Nash and the Nets organization and team put on him. To be playing 40 minutes near the end of the season just to get into the playoff game. And then one of the reasons why he didn't have the juice, one of the reasons why he didn't have the... Uh, impact that many Brooklyn Nets fans thought he was going to have because of the taxing minutes. Man, I don't give a damn who you are, man. There ain't no 34, 35-year-old guy who's going to be in his 15th year in the NBA, maybe outside of LeBron James, that could shoulder that type of workload and be able to be the team in Boston that's playing that well when you're surrounded 
on a team in Brooklyn that doesn't have the resources or doesn't have the talent to give you some type of break? I mean, hell, at least when LeBron was carrying the Cleveland Cavaliers to the uh, NBA Finals, at least he had a little bit of help around them. If Kyrie is going to play like he did in games two, three, and four, you have nothing for Kevin Durant. Nothing. And then it's just a matter of, you know, get the ball to Kevin Durant with six or ten on the shot clock and 35 feet away from the basket and have him go one on four because you've got eight eyeballs looking at Kevin Durant and the other two are just making sure that uh, Kyrie Irving is still around. You're not going to be successful with that uh, team. You're not. They didn't run anything. The coaching staff didn't help. Up Jock Vaughn and Steve Nash didn't do anything in terms of run something, anything, run something to get Kevin Durant open. Run something to get Kyrie Irving going. Run something to get Steph Curry or somebody else to do something. Man, you're playing one of the best defensive squads in the NBA in in um, Boston this year. You can't win a series. You can't win four out of the seven games by just having Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant go one-on-one against Jason Tatum, against Marcus Smart, against Al Horford, against Jalen Brown, against Grant Williams, against uh, those guys. It was unrealistic. My thoughts and feelings to think about with Brooklyn now is that if the Utah Jazz, which are right now losing to the Dallas Mavericks, let's say, for instance, that the Jazz go out in the first round and Danny Ainge, who has no ties whatsoever to anything in terms of what the Utah Jazz is as a team constituted right now. He's not married to Rudy Gobert. He's not married to Donovan Mitchell. And he's not married to Quinn Snyder. So if Danny Ainge, after the Utah Jazz quote-unquote disappoint, and you're speaking about, yeah, disappointing for a team that was uh, playing against a Dallas Mavericks team that didn't have Luka for part of the series and you still can't get it done. If you're the Utah Jazz and you feel that you reach the ceiling with this squad right here, could it be a situation where Danny Ainge just decides to blow the thing up? Which includes maybe making a coaching change? So if Quinn Snyder is going to be on the open market, we're speaking about one of the best coaches in the NBA. If you're the Brooklyn Nets, and you're trying to salvage something of the Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving duo era that has been with the Brooklyn Nets. Hey, man, as I mentioned before, when Quinn Snyder, if Quinn Snyder is available, do you do everything humanly possible? And, hey, man, this is not a reflection on the coaching acumen of Steve Nash, but it's like if you're an NBA franchise, would you rather have Quinn Snyder or would you rather have Steve Nash as your coach? I mean, that's an easy question. There's maybe about two or three or four coaches at the very most who you would say, yeah, I would rather have that coach over Quinn Snyder. So it wouldn't be so much of a, you know, of a diss after two seasons to say, Steve, thanks for the memories, but we've got to uh, go ahead and uh, move on and do something else. It's a situation where it's kind of like, look, man, we're in desperation road. We've got to do everything humanly possible. Again, if we're going to re-sign Kyrie Irving to a max contract for three or four years? Well, we we, we got to do everything humanly possible to make sure that we give ourselves the best chance from a player standpoint and from a coaching standpoint to uh, live up to our expectations. So Quinn Snyder might be that guy for the Brooklyn Nets. Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host, if he's available. Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host, Wendell Wallace, speaking about what's happening in the NBA play. Also, now Boston moves on. They'll be facing the winner 
of the Milwaukee Bucks Chicago Bulls series, which you're taking a look the way Milwaukee is playing and the way that they've uh, put the smackdown, laid the smackdown, the beatdown on the Chicago Bulls, beat them by a combined 54 points in around games three and four, that in all likelihood they'll be facing the Chicago Bulls in the first round. I know as I'm looking at this score right here that the Philadelphia 76ers are still in a tussle <clears throat> with the um, <clears throat> with the Toronto Raptors, <clears throat> but I'm, <clears throat> I'm guessing that uh, eventually <clears throat> the um, 76ers will win this series. Miami Heat, um, you know, playing bully ball and playing, you know, I'm the daddy, the Atlanta Hawks are my bitches. So it looks like in all likelihood we could have a very tasty and delicious looking series where the top four seeds, Miami, Boston, Milwaukee and Philadelphia, you're going to have Philadelphia playing at uh, playing Miami, and you're going to have Boston playing Milwaukee. That looks tasty. That looks delicious. That's going to be looking very intriguing. That is something that I'm going to be highly attracted to and watch and break down and see exactly, you know, who's going to be coming out of that mess. Um, Miami playing really good, solid basketball right now. The way that they just basically manhandled and decided when they wanted to uh, put the clamps down that they did. Trey Young, outside of uh, three minutes in Game 3, has been a non-factor whatsoever. Still haven't gotten anything as far as the offensive end from Bam on the Bayou, but Jimmy Butler has uh, imposed his will and done what he needed to do, basically tell the young lad that it's grown-up time, that they need to go into the corner and eat their beans and broccoli and shut up. And that's what Jimmy Butler and the Miami Heat has been doing. So, you know, Atlanta, hey, you know, they are what they thought we, they are who they thought they are, similar to what the Chicago Bulls were speaking about when you're speaking about the beatdown. Everybody might have gotten a little bit giddy in Chi-Town who are Chicago Bulls fans after their 114-110 win in Game 2. And Chris Middleton got injured. He had a sprained MCL. He's listed anywhere from out indefinitely to three or four weeks. I'll get to that in a second. But this was a situation where, man, the people were starting to get giddy if you're a Chicago Bulls fan. DeMar DeRozan goes off in game two for 41 points on 16 of 31 shooting. And as I mentioned before, with that injury to Middleton, that, oh, my goodness, we might have a chance. We might have a chance. Giannis said, no, 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 sorry, son. You have no chance. Zero chance. 26 points, 14 rebounds, averaging seven assists per game. Grayson Allen going nuts. Games three and four, Grayson Allen shooting out of his mind. 20 of 24 from the field. Like 10 of 12 from the three-point line. 20 of 24. When you read that number, when you read that statistic, 20 out of 24, that usually goes to the amount of times that he's tripped people. Like, out of 24 attempts of Grayson Allen tripping somebody, he's been successful 20 times. 12 times he's been caught, 10 times that he's been threatened with his life if you do it again. But Grayson Allen has been unbelievable from the three-point line. If you're the Chicago Bulls, you're sitting to yourself thinking to myself, man, okay, we're going to let Giannis big daddy us. Call Giannis my daddy. Get it. Understand it. A lot of teams that are calling Giannis big daddy. And I'm not speaking about the B-I-G-D-E-D-D-Y-K-A-N-E. I'm speaking about the big daddy named Giannis. I'm not going to even try to spell his last name. But, man, Grayson Allen is going to punk you like that? You're, 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 you're being embarrassed. Your season's going down the drain. You're being laughed at. You're getting ready to go to Cancun because of Grayson Allen? 
even with Chris Middleton, many people thought, you know, that, hey, you know what, Milwaukee, they'll still be fine. But I didn't think people were going to project or go on the assumption that they were going to be delivering a beatdown in game three and four like they did without Chris Middleton. Now, moving forward, if you're at Milwaukee, and you're speaking about, again, Middleton with the sprained MCL and his knee, he's going to be out indefinitely to, whew, to three or four weeks. What does that mean for the Milwaukee Bucks when they go up against the Boston Celtics? you got to remember the, the world defending world champions. Yeah, Giannis is awesome. Giannis is a monster. And in games three and four, the Bucks have been clicking. Bobby Portis has been playing well. As I mentioned before, Grayson Allen shooting out of his mind. All of those things, yes, yes, yes. Giannis playing like the best player in the league. You can say outside of Jason Tatum, who I think has been playing the best basketball of anyone in the playoffs, making a statement of anyone in the playoffs, I think right behind him is Giannis. The way that he's playing, the way that he's doing his thing. He's great. He's awesome, but man... He's going to be facing that same defense in Boston now with a healthier Robert Williams at the center position. He's going to be facing a Boston Celtics defense that shut down, slowed down, frustrated Kevin Durant. Did you see game three with Kevin Durant, his body language, the looks that he gave, even to Kyrie Irving, the looks that Kevin Durant, normally Kevin Durant saved those looks of disgust and anger for Patty Mills. But near the end of the game, after some miscommunications and turnovers, that uh, there were some looks uh, at Kevin Durant saying, come on, bro, what the fuck are you doing? To Kyrie Irving. So that's the type of defense that Giannis is going to be facing without Chris Middleton. Drew Holiday is going to be his only guy in terms of, hey, man, let's go ahead and get this done in terms of, you know, being that next player up. There's nobody that can replicate what Chris Middleton is going to bring on a consistent basis for the Milwaukee Bucks on that team. Some other players could step up. Giroux, Giannis is going to have to step up their games even more if they want to uh, compete and uh, defend their their, their their title. But it, it, it's going to be it's going to be interesting, man. It's going to be interesting. It's just kind of like a something to keep an eye on. Giannis right now is shooting thirty or forty four from the free throw line. That's somewhere around sixty eight percent. Was shooting a lot lower, but he went nine for twelve. In game four, it's going to come a time. There's going to come a time in these playoffs, man. I don't know if it's going to be game two. I don't know if it's going to be game seven. I don't know if it's going to be game six in the Eastern Conference semifinals, in the Eastern Conference finals, even in the NBA finals that the Milwaukee Bucks make it this far. But there's going to be a game where, look, man, Giannis is going to shoot 10 for 18 from the free throw line. He's going to shoot 6 of 14 from the free throw line. He's going to shoot 2 of 9 from the free throw line. Is that going to be the game? We speak about Chris Middleton and and that type of thing. Is this going to be the game in terms of that's going to be the game where if the Milwaukee Bucks look and lose an important game, lose a game that can knock them out of the playoffs, lose a game that can put them in the uh, a disadvantage moving forwards against one of these monsters in the Eastern Conference or even if they make it to the NBA Finals is a 2-for-9 game from the free throw line. Is a 12-of-20 game from the free throw line. 20 free throws in one game? Yeah, the way the referees are, are, are blowing these whistles during the first round of the playoffs? Yeah, that is uh, extremely likely the way that trend is going. So is a bad free throw shooting night going to be the demise of 
the Brooklyn Nets. Just something to just keep your just something to keep your eyes open on. Just something to uh, see, you know, just in case moving on down the road. Wendell's World of Sports. I'm your host, Wendell Wallace. So glad that you could be with us. And for the Chicago Bulls, in the words of Dennis Green, they are who they thought they were. You know, the team that's good enough to uh, make it to the playoffs, but a team that's not seriously considered to be good enough to compete with the best teams in the Eastern Conference, i.e. the Miami Heat, the Boston Celtics, the Milwaukee Bucks, and the Philadelphia 76ers. DeMar DeRozan's playing like in the playoffs like he's always played, averaging 23 points, 40% shooting. As I mentioned before, you take away that uh, monster game that he had game two, the rest of the series, he's shooting 18 to 54, that 33% homes. Not getting it done. Philadelphia, Toronto, mentioned that before. Joel Embiid, great, monsterish through the first three games. Suffered a thumb injury, which has hampered him just a little bit. I don't think it's going to be debilitating. Hey, man, if you're a Philadelphia 76er fan, the least you can say, it ain't the knee. It ain't the foot. It's something that could be manageable. Now, Embiid is like, look, man, I'm going to play even if they tell me I have to have surgery. I'm going to do my thing. How much, though, is he going to be hampered? In game four up there in Toronto where the um, Raptors saved their series from getting swept, Embiid had 21 points, eight rebounds in 39 minutes, as I mentioned before, dealing with that thumb injury. So, So here's the deal. James Harden, calling James Harden. We need James Harden. Where is James Harden? Could you please help us out, James Harden? Uh, because James Harden still had to be the James Harden that many people in Philadelphia were hoping to see when they made that trade to get him from Brooklyn. James Harden is not playing like that guy who's going to be garnering $60 million and by the time he's 37 years old. That max contract that James Harden is going to get if you're the Philadelphia 76ers, are you confident to give him that type of, uh, of uh, contract? The way that he's playing right now and knowing that he's only going to get worse in terms of his physical presence is concerned, he still hasn't done anything. He's still shooting 37.5% from the field. He's shooting better from the three-point line than he is from the uh, field overall. And he still hasn't had that monster game. Now, you can sit there and we can talk about Joel Embiid has been carrying things and Tyrese Maxey had a good game one and two and, you know, uh, Tobias Harris has stepped up and all those type of things. But, look, man, in game three, it took a left side three-point shot with under two seconds to go by Joel Embiid to save the Philadelphia 76ers from being tied up in the series with the Toronto Raptors. When are we going to see James Harden do something? When are we going to see James Harden impose his will? When are we going to see the James Harden that's supposed to be one of the best offensive players in the NBA, not just in his generation, but of all time? Should we expect that James Harden Is that James Harden now gone? And if he's now gone, if Philadelphia should and can get by Toronto, what does that mean for them going up against Miami? Because Toronto might be long and athletic, but they clearly, definitely are not the same on the same level of defensive play and prowess as the Miami Heat. So if Joel is going to be looking for a sidekick and he's going to be turning to this James Harden that's been playing over the last six weeks, He's going to be extremely disappointed because the Miami Heat will then be moving on to the Eastern Conference Finals. And what does that mean now for the legacy of James Harden? What does that mean for the legacy of Doc Rivers? What does that mean for the legacy of Joel Embiid? So, it'll be interesting to see stuff about that. Wendell's World of Sports, I'm your host, 
Wendell Wallace, so glad that you could be with us. Ooh, it's getting dark in this house. I better hurry up and finish with my NBA prospects and my NBA talk as far as the playoffs are concerned. We've got ourselves a series in the Western Conference between Philadelphia, excuse me, between Phoenix and New Orleans, tied 2-2. Two to two. Game 5 <clears throat> tomorrow is going to be rocking. Chris Paul is going to be doing a thing, hopefully, if you're a Phoenix Suns fan. But, um, you know, scrappy, plucky, overachieving New Orleans Pelicans. I still think this is a situation, even without Devin Booker, you can't lose a top five player, top six player in the NBA and not have it affect you in some way. Especially when the guy that's the second best player on his team, on the team, is a 36-year-old who's going to be 37 in about two and a half weeks at the point guard position. Strong player, awesome player, all-NBA player, not first team or second team, but I'll say third, even maybe second. But still, you're taking a look at a guy who, you know, as I mentioned before, man, he's getting up there in age. And who else is going to be able to take that slack? Who else is going to be able to step up? DeAndre Ayton had a good game three, not so much game four. You're speaking about Mikel Bridges. Is he going to be that guy? Cam Johnson has been in a shooting slump. And right now, man, you know, you've got the uh, New Orleans Pelicans believing, baby. You got Brandon Ingram playing some really, really good basketball. And now, look, man, the, the New Orleans Pelicans are not going to win the NBA championship if they go ahead and they beat the um, if they go ahead and beat the um, the Suns. Awesome, wonderful. But this could be a situation where the New Orleans Pelicans win or lose this series can make it so to where, hey man, you know what? This could be a situation where we could use the experience that we had in the play-in game and then in the first round of the NBA playoffs to do a similar situation that the Memphis Grizzlies did. If you remember, they made the play-in game. They had a tough series with the Utah Jazz, and they used that experience. They used that momentum to now to see where they are right now at the number two seed and make that jump, John Morant being the player that he is right now winning the most improved player award and such, and that organization, which is strong in terms of the way that they surrounded uh, Morant with really good role players and, and, and such, and really good trades, similar to what the um, similar to what the uh, New Orleans Pelicans is going to be doing. Win or lose, this could be a great, great jump in terms of the prognostication, in terms of the development of the franchise and the first-year coach. Willie Green in terms of what the uh, Pelicans are all about. And doing all this without Zion, what does it mean then for the Pelicans moving forward when a healthy Zion, when a hopefully slimmed down Zion Williams returns to the Pelicans? What does this jump mean for a player like Brandon Ingram in terms of his development, in terms of his ascension to being that guy who could be a key player on a team that had the possibilities of doing great things? Um, yeah, man, it's, it's, it's all about that. It's all really about that. Hold on for a second. Let me turn on some lights here because I'm getting a little bit dark and I am not going to turn this bad boy off. So as I keep talking, hello, how are you doing? Good to see you. All right. Now it's better. So can you see me now? Awesome. Great. Fantastic. So <clears throat> thank you. That's better. That's better. That's fantastic. So, you know, as I get back to what I'm talking about right here, you have the um, New, Orleans, New Orleans Pelicans doing some really doing some really great things. So, um, 
you know, in the NBA playoffs also, you have a situation where, you know, you have the Dallas Mavericks and the Utah Jazz. I mentioned before about the uh, Jazz. If they lose this series, what does it mean for them? They could have a teardown uh, where, you know, we could be starting from scratch again. The situation in game four, you know what, with that lob that Donovan Mitchell had to Rudy Gobert, it's a situation where, hey, man, this might be a situation where they might actually go to dinner every every now and then after making a play like that. But uh, Luca back to being Luca. Um, Jalen Brunson making himself a boatload of money. If I'm um, if I'm Dallas, I move heaven and earth because uh, I need to keep Jalen Brunson just just to make Luca happy to let him know that we're serious about winning a championship. They swung and missed with Christoph Porzingis, but uh, now you have something to salvage in terms of moving forward with a guy who can really help out Luca do a thing with Jalen Brunson. So that's going to be a situation right there. And, you know, um, Dallas, they have the superstar in Luca. They have the coaching with Jason Kidd to really cause some damage. And you take a look at the Western Conference now, if the Phoenix Suns are really going to be compromised with the loss of Devin Booker, who's going to be out for an indefinite amount of time, it's, it's opened up in the Western Conference. And outside of Golden State, who's going to be you know finally putting the final touches on their series against the Denver Nuggets, uh, I believe it's going to be tomorrow, outside of Golden State, in terms of being Western Conference champions, if I'm the um, Dallas Mavericks, I'm saying, why not us? Why not us? So... Those are something to look at. I'm going to end really quickly with um, the Memphis Grizzlies, Minnesota Timberwolves, the Swag Bowl, shall we say, in the first round. Just a fun series, just an interesting series. And like I mentioned before, man, you have two teams that are just playing almost like out of control, man. You have two teams playing. They're bouncing all over the place. You're, it seems like there seems like the Grizzlies and the Timberwolves, it's like two teams who are going through puberty that just ate a bowl of sugar. The way those guys are bouncing around is crazy. It's all this type of stuff. It's just been a really intense series. It's been a fascinating series uh, to watch. So I'm going to be paying close attention to that. And then, you know, as I mentioned before, Golden State and the Denver Nuggets. Good win by Denver. Jokic doing the thing. I know there was some talk, especially after the first two games, not just with the Warriors and the Nuggets, but also with the 76ers and the Raptors, the first two games, the way that MB was uh, imposing his will and the way that Draymond Green was shutting down Nikola Jokic, it was almost like a situation where, wait a minute, who's the MVP again? But uh, Jokic, as I mentioned before, without too much talent or any talent of any consequence around him, uh, doing the thing and surviving Game 4 to move on to Game 5 in San Francisco, where I'm quite sure that will be the end of the Season 4 the Denver Nuggets. All right, I'm out of here. I want to thank everybody for listening to the program. Oh, yeah, real quick, this past uh, Wednesday, Jay Wright stepping down as the men's head basketball coach at Uni- at the uh, at Villanova. Uh, one of the great, great coaches. Just want to give a shout-out, special dedication to him. And Tyson Fury, six-round TKO over Dillian White. Speaking about now, he's the greatest heavyweight of all time. Come on, man, get out of here with that nonsense. You're good, but greatest of all time. You ever heard of somebody named Joe Lewis? You ever heard of somebody named Muhammad Ali? You heard of, ever heard of those guys? Build a resume, my man. Build a resume in the ring. I mean, good, yes. All-time great, come on now. After 30-something fights, you're going to name your, you're going to call yourself the greatest of all time as far as the heavyweight position uh, situation is concerned. Rocky Marciano went 49-0. 
and he's not even close to being the greatest heavyweight of all time. Sonny Liston, 50-4, considered not close of being the greatest heavyweight of all time, and both of those guys would smash Tyson Fury in terms of his legacy is concerned. I'm not talking about in terms of getting in the ring because, you know, Rocky Marciano during his day is the size of a light heavyweight. And meanwhile, Tyson Fury, you're looking at a guy who's 6'9", 260. So, yes, of course. But when you're speaking about the resume, when you're speaking about, you know, what they did during their time period, come on now. You're going to try Tyson Fury to say that you're better than Ali, better than Joe Lewis, better than Marciano, better than Sonny Liston, better than George Foreman, better than those guys? Come on now. Come on. You're good, but let's just calm down. Better, Better than Vladimir Klitschko? Come on now. Let's calm down with that stuff. So give a shout-out to the Boxing Match, 94,000 people over in Wembley. Good good stuff, man. Anytime that uh, the heavyweight can get together and do some things, then uh, that would be great. Now we're going to be waiting for Alexander Usich and Anthony Joshua to uh, get the rematch, rematch on, and we'll, we'll move on from there in the heavyweight division. All right, I am out of here. Please remember... For those who are listening to my podcast, watching my podcast, could you do me a favor, please? Could you just go ahead and have a conversation and learn from someone of a different race, of a different gender, of a different political background, of a different uh, financial background, different side of the globe, different religions, different political affiliations, different uh, a difference in terms of who you love, what gender that you love? Can we can we please have a conversation with those folks? Can we please listen? to what they're talking about. Can we please figure out and learn some other stuff so we can move on? Right now, currently, in our state of mind, in our society, my generation, your generation, we're too ignorant, we're too racist, we're too narrow-minded, we're too closed-minded, we're too stupid, me included, to have the utopia society that we should be living in, where people are truly judged by who they are, what's in their heart, how much love and respect and unity and harmony that they're willing to give for those who deserve it. We're too ignorant, we're too close-minded, my generation, me, you, others included, to have a society where purely is pure based on love, harmony, unity, respect, good heart of those. So if we could just go ahead and teach our children and their children and their children about love, peace, unity for all brothers and sisters out there, regardless, as I mentioned before, of race, gender, creed, color, and such. If we could have some type of uh, movement toward that, so when we reach the pearly gates, we can get in and start enjoying eternal happiness, that would be awesome. Wendell's World of Sports, this has been Wendell Wallace. Say strong love, peace, and unity, and music. (laughs) 